0: 3 o'clock on Saturday, uh, I was unable to watch the game, uh, well, basically fight the internet to find a way to watch the game. Very kindly offered a ticket, which I wasn't able to, to take, so thank you very much to the person that reached out for to uh, offer that. Um, but yeah, I was not able to go and could not fight the internet to watch it, and thought to myself... I look forward to watching extended highlights, or maybe even finding a copy of the the whole game somewhere and looking back on United's comfortable three nil win. Um, in the event, I uh, I haven't bothered. Oh dear, it's, it's got to that already. This uh, this uh, this season has it three games
1: in? You've given up.
0: No, not at all. I just decided not to subject myself to ninety minutes of watching Man United losing to Crystal Palace in a game I already knew the result of. That that seemed like difficult to do. Yeah. So well, so what happened? What happened? Why? Why we we were all confident on the show and we were, when last we spoke, I, I think you you chastised me for my uh, moderate prediction of a two 0 win. Yeah, I mean.
1: Thinking back to our uh, predictions and forecast and analysis of the game, I, I think our analysis is about right that you know Palace would play a pretty traditional four four two, which they sort of did. I mean, it was more like four five one with four four two when they were attacking, and Zaha joined the IU up front, and but they just defended these two very low blocks and. So I think our analysis was right. In fact, our pre-season analysis of where United and the types of games United might struggle is right as well. We were just wildly optimistic on the result. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, if you want to beat this United team, either you're good enough to pass around the press, which will be a fair few teams, I imagine, or you you just suck all the space out because there's no, there's no plan B there, and there's no guile, right? So we do not have a number 10 who's going to create anything. Uh, or uh, appear so far unwilling to play a number 10 who might create something. Um, And it's all based on speed in behind. But if there's no space, what happens? So United half and puffed a lot. Um, And while creating quite a lot of half chances, didn't create a lot of very clear-cut chances. In fact, um, the Palace keeper, Goyata, has only made two saves in the entire game on like nearly 20 shots. So um, a lot of... um, a lot of a pointless possession I'd say uh, and the transitions between the phases are really desperately slow just desperately slow and I think if it's not on the break what happens is that the midfield and the the forwards are pretty static and it's all coming into feet uh, and then going back out again and so that you know so we've got this problem of if there's no space in behind there's nowhere to play there's no one who's going to create a thing um, uh, other than a piece of magic and the transitions between the phases are so slow that the opposition can get back into shape so that's basically what happened and then Palace played us at our own game and played on the break. Um, in terms of the goals I mean you've seen those so first yep. one's just a punt down the middle um, Victor Lindelof's beaten in the air and Maguire's too far away in my opinion I mean Lindelof got all the criticism but Maguire's not playing as a pair there. He's There's a huge gap and he hasn't got the recovery speed to make that up. So IU has all the time in the world to tuck that away. And then in terms of attacking, um, uh, United obviously got the penalty through Marcus Rashford's F- fair penalty. I'd say, in fact, there should have been another one where Martial's clearly pulled back and it looks like the referee's played an advantage, but I don't know how that's an advantage if you're falling backwards when you take the shot. And, and uh, VAR... They told us the Premier League have briefed that there's going to be a really high bar for overturning anything. And so that has proven out to be true. And that wasn't given, although it feels like a stonewaller. And the the video assistant referee hasn't hasn't overturned the -the on-the-field referee there. And Martial didn't get that penalty. There's also another big incident where Martial's been chopped down. And it looks like by the last man, and it was given as a yellow just outside the box, the free kick. Um, I think a lot of people would feel that that's probably deserving of a red. Um, yeah, I but- think
0: they, they were particularly keen in all their briefing to to sort of say that um, where a yellow's given, and even if a lot of people might think it was a red, if there are sort of people that would think it was a yellow, it's going to stay a yellow sort of thing. And when I say people, I mean like people who are qualified to have an opinion on these things. Right.
1: Um so yeah, I mean it's one of the it's one of the frustrating things I think with Varin that the interpretation in England is different <laughs> than will one of many is, is yeah, different you, than you in know, Europe, you, you know. So Do you
0: know you literally said I think we could probably I don't know if Tom could be bothered, we could probably overlay literally word for word that that sentence from last week. I know, I know. <laughs> it is I, I'm um, I'm
1: hoping you know, we'll we'll all get used to it, and this will get very boring because it is already very boring. But it's yeah. it's kind of maddening when people don't understand, or it's, it's hard to understand the process by which decisions are made. You know, and last yeah. week we talked about the the weird nuances of how handball would be interpreted through the game, or in fact even in two phases of the same play. Um, this week we've seen different problems where, you know, um what might be a subjective on-the-field decision is not overturned by the video
0: referee. Um, And and I think that's that's an interesting thing because uh, there's a whole discussion to be had there about the sort of benefit of that, which is that they're trying to maintain, you know, the referee's authority. But one of the reasons you would want to do that is just so he can manage the flow of the game and this is going to interrupt the flow of the game. And I I really think if you want to listen to an in-depth kind of take on certainly what the um Premier League were briefing about VAR then definitely listen to a Tifo Football podcast from a few weeks ago where I uh, Seb Stafford bloor broke down in quite forensic detail the kind of guidance being given out to journalists and pundits and all that sort of thing by by the um by the people behind all this
1: yeah did that include uh, that the uh, handball rule is the fault of the
0: European Union and as soon as we get Brexit sorted <laughs> it'll all be okay <laughs> Awful, just absolutely awful, and uh, not entirely unrelated to the general discourse around that particular topic yeah. in this particular country. Um the the one bit of that I saw that looked like you know it was a good de- good amount of guile um, and created a pretty big chance um, was the the one that was Daniel James, um, and the one that he didn't score uh, after. Hold on, I can tell you exactly how, how many minutes it was after. It was after sixteen minutes um the shot from the sort of right hand yeah. side of the 6 yard box i don't think he did much wrong it was you know scrambled no. away he he, um, he i mean he at least
1: he got it on target he didn't get it super clean um but it, there wasn't a lot of space for him to aim at there so it's it's alright and and you know we we um perhaps cruelly uh talked about daniel james as being the the new bebe last week i think fairly cruelly we we, we you you <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you call him a competition winner i thought that was harsh.
0: no i did not call him that ed i literally you can go back and listen to the archives i i did not call him that so like you called him the new bebe
1: yeah no know that, that was um there was some tongue in cheek there but I, I i think uh where he didn't have a good game against um wolves for much the same reason that there's there was very little space in behind the back four here he worked really really hard and you know i i, I think you can criticise his sort of final ball and the maturity of his play in the final third, but um, it, it would be desperately unfair to criticise either attitude or work rate or his willingness to try. He's uh, you know, back defending no. in his own box. He's playing on the break. I thought he got into some really good positions. You know, he scored a fabulous goal to equalise for United cutting inside. and, you know, I, th- I thought he should have played the blind pass. I'm shouting at the TV saying, left, 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 and he's bent one in the top corner. So... I think there's a lot of merits Then you can see that there's some raw talent. Um, he's in their team too early, I think, to be starting every week. But um, he's, you know, they're, they're going to work with something. He's going to have to create more dimensions to his play, though, if if he's going to be super useful for United in
0: all types of game situations. So I was preparing to sort of say some stuff about Solskjaer, which I'll come on to in a second. But You're definitely... already, harsh. No, no, harsh. no, of no, 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 course not. Like I... I I don't know, I don't know how badly it would have to go for me to get to that position this season. It would have to be an uncategoric failure, um, uh, or no, a categoric failure. Um, this this game, though, it looks terrible, and I understand that for people watching it, I, it feels like it was one of those like very classic last few years, Man United super frustrating games against a team that sits deep, but... If it wasn't for, you know, a a millimetre of Rashford missing what is very close to being the perfect penalty, Um, Van Arnholt, I mean, yeah, Van Arnholt blocking on the line. Um, uh, What's his name? Are you somehow like you know, the combination play that led to Victor Lindelof's error and Harry Maguire's kind of bad positioning. And then Dave absolutely chucking one in his own net. This, this could easily have been a comfortable win. Of course. Not with a different, not with a different performance and not even with like some outrageous level of application of like, um, of, uh, things coming off the way you want them to and not going of, badly. It feels course. like it went very badly wrong compared to what should have happened.
1: Yeah. And I think, look, for, you know, details do matter, of course. And and um, United created far more chances and uh, should have turned those some of those sort of half chances into something better. Um, would perhaps have done that if they'd had a player at number 10 who actually ever created something, you know. Um, and, and of course, those details around um the being you know Lindelof being beaten in the air Maguire not being close enough um rashford's hitting the inside of the post when an inch to the right probably would have taken it in you know it's a zero percent chance of scoring when it hits the post and probably ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance of scoring it was on the inside of the post so you know yeah sure lost in the details but i think there's there are some pretty serious sort of bigger issues at play as well and you know those those two about how do United play when there is no space behind if this is a team set up to play on the break This we're gonna play a lot of teams who don't give us that space like especially having seen this game and the one against Wolves you know and United were definitely better against Wolves and then the second one gotta move it quicker you know and we've had a lot of discussions about Pogba and his role in the team and and the trade-off between playing him deeper. So United get some control of the ball in midfield or further forward. So it's more creative. And and at the moment, the trade-off and I think we both agreed that he should play deeper because it's best for the team right now, not best for him. But I just wonder whether the trade-off's going to be too big. I mean, in, 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 in Jesse Lingard, you've got a player who's so far out of form that he's a massive liability on United. And he's just not creating anything, just nothing. You know, he's, his sole usefulness to the team right now is is the high press. But in a game like this, where that really wasn't, you know, that useful because United had sixty percent
0: of the possession. What did he contribute? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at so obviously, I didn't see the game, but I just was was having a look at his data. United had twenty two shots, and that means that more or less you are going to have twenty two key passes spread around the team at some in some way or another, or at least like a good number of key passes the fact that Lingard playing at number 10 got one and didn't take a single one of those shots um I'm not I'm not like criticizing his performance because I didn't see it but those are those are real bad numbers to back up the idea that I've heard from everyone I've talked to about this game that he was pretty terrible in it so um he's clearly really out of form and you know all that stuff that I was saying about the details was by way of preamble of what I'm about to say which is to me picking both Lingard and James for this game seems mad like a proper, like, what are you doing now? Now, Daniel James, it sounds like actually he scored the goal, he was the one that had the kind of best chance earlier than that as well. Um, but but to play both of them against in a team where you we you know we talked about it on the show last week, what are you going to do? You need guile, and and Lingard in bad form doesn't offer any guile, and it's such a shame because. You know, there's obviously a player in there, but he's he's in a right old state at the moment. And interesting, once again, like um this time it looked like Ollie was more proactive with his subs uh than he was, if I if I've got my timings right. Um he... Yeah, I mean he's left it pretty late again, I
1: think. So um I mean Ashley Young came on for Lucha in the first half, that was forced in forced change But to be honest, probably improved United's attacking threat down the left. Is that cruel? Um and, and Mason Greenwood got half an hour. Um
0: Yeah, I think you can't say it's leaving it late when you bring on Mason Greenwood with half an no, hour. No, no, no. And and
1: works. big cheer, you know, amongst the United fans watching where I was uh, for that one. And you know, he, he played off the right and James went left. Um and they basically play a straight up four four two um after that. Um, sort of matching Palace's shape and but just, you know, much more attacking. But it still had the problem of super deep, bunch of the same kind of players on the pitch. You know, in, in James Rashford, Martial and even Greenwood to some extent, he's a slightly different player, they all want the ball in front of them. And, and when the ball's into feet and you have to do something else, what's it going to be? And then you end up with, you know, um, uh, one trick pony or perhaps two trick pony Ashley Young trying to lob one into the back post and, and it felt very predictable by for the last half an hour or so
0: you know anyway so you so talk, did did equalize of, though through Daniel James I like you know Ash, do you know Ashley Young got five key passes yeah well you <laughs> know <so. laughs> I'm sure a lot of those were taps to one side while someone took a map. looking at the shot map I'm gonna guess that a substantial number of them were little little balls balls inside and in. so on had
1: a had a punt from 20 yards yeah
0: yeah um uh, talking though of uh, lobbing one into the post, David de Gea's chucking him into his own net again. Then,
1: I mean, what a gut punch! After James scores, uh, and um, you know, right, so some criticism of him celebrating. What? What the, what the fuck? He scored a last minute goal <laughs> at crazy. Old Trafford. That's insane. You know, on his third appearance for the club. Um people, anyway. <laughs> people have gone. Like people have gone. People, Heads gone. Like, they really have. They really have. You know, and it's it's a nice it's a nice move for, you know, assist for Martial playing inside and and James cutting in and curling one in and everyone's thinking, well, go on and win it. You've got five minutes of added time here. Momentum's with you and just a simple pass through the left hand channel and I um Van Arnholt coming up from the left back as smacked one into the near post and dave's beaten and it's just we thought i think hopefully i thought last week that that there were no mistakes in the you know through preseason or the first two games of the season dave's back he's had the summer to focus you know everyone's saying that that contract situation almost sorted not signed yet um and apparently that focus isn't there because he should never 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 be beaten by that shot
0: I mean, hopefully, let's hope that he lost focus because, you know, they scored a last-minute goal and, you know, all that match situation stuff rather than a more general thing. But worrying, worrying, worrying signs that... That's almost more worrying than any of the rest of it because United being generally better than the other team at Old Trafford and not brilliant and losing and missing a penalty and all that, that's all pretty standard stuff, but... Um, we absolutely can't go for another season where David De Gea is a liability. That would, that then, then if if David De Gea is like a liability for, you know, whatever percentage of the time it is, um, there's no way on earth where our kind of f- general sort of weaknesses and failings aren't going to stop us getting top four. No way. on No, earth. sure. Um, just a
1: few comments on a few other players. I mean, I thought um, wan Bazaka had his most difficult game for United so far. I mean, lots of praise for him generally, I think, because he's such a massive upgrade. He, he, got, um, he struggled to cope with the overload that Palace, Palace sometimes created on the break um, with Van Aan, and Schlupp. Got booked for pulling back Schlupp uh, when he was beaten for the first time, I'd say. Um, but, you know, not a terrible game, just a just, um, more difficult one than before. Lindelof and Maguire, not quite a partnership. Yeah, we sort of talked about that. And sure, sure, only got half an hour limped off. We'll see how fit he is. But that's kind of worrying signs because, you know, it already looks like United need an upgrade in that position. Uh, it's it, it's it's clearly a weakness. And I, I, I do think that um, at times Zaha drifted out there to try and try and give him trouble. And then, of course, you know, when United had Ashley Young on, it was probably an upgrade. And that's, that's kind of a worrying sign. And then in midfield mctominay i mean this is a game he should have completely dominated i mean he's he he should be better than palace's uh midfield he's sort of you know he's industrious but in a game like this we needed more than industrious and pogba's just too deep he's just too deep to influence in the attacking third and you know but he does give united some control so challenges i'd say um and then um Final comment: Rashford got some racist abuse after missing that penalty. What have our fan base become? Um, Oh my god! Just, just come on! Like, I'm afraid you only have to uh, search in Twitter "Rashford plus a bunch of abusive words" and there's a ton of it. Um, I mean, and he's missed. We talked about penalties being one skill. He's missed by millimeters and then like that's uh, sorry i'm making so an equivalent so there yeah, and that's exactly. a, so like, what you know when yeah it's, it's really it's disgusting and
0: like completely
1: how, where you know and i know we're in a position sorry to get old political rank cast here but no we're in a position is, in society where our leaders political leaders have kind of enabled this um but you know is not a football club about family and a community and we're all supposed to be knit together I, I just don't i just don't i don't get where these people are coming from
0: Absolutely. And, and I'm not apologizing for talking about politics here. And if you don't like it, you can sod off like full on just stop listening and stop listening forever. Because if you don't want to hear about how politics and this intersect, then you're just not interested. And you could pe- keep politics out of sport as if politics hasn't been inserted no, into sport is by sport. the fa- sport. Sport exactly. is politics. Mm. Exactly. It's nonsense. And, um, if two of our players are missing penalties and getting torrents of racial abuse the the following, like, immediately afterwards, uh, none of those people. You know, um, I saw a little clip of the, the Full Time Devils podcast. Um, and I don't know who it was that said it because I just saw it as text. Um, we have to stop calling these people so-called supporters because... Nah, they're just United fans. They're just racist United fans. Some United fans are racist. Yeah, some United fans are prepared to use racial epithets at their players when they don't like them, and those people aren't welcome in the in the United community. But they've always been part of it. I know I use this story all the time. But when you and I went to see United play QPR in um, January 1991 or 92, whenever it was, we left and I heard somebody say walking out the Stretford end, I can't believe we just got beaten by a black team. Um, And so it's not new, but the flip side of that is um, United, historically, Red Issue used to make a very big deal about how the fact that United's support was multicultural and uh, that people of all backgrounds would be accepted. And that wasn't just lip service, by the way, because... um, I know like loads of people from ethnic minority backgrounds in uh, Birmingham who support either Liverpool or United because that's where their dads could go to watch football because they couldn't go to Blues or Villa, um, so they would go to Liverpool or they'd go to United. And and listen, that's that's our background as a club is inclusive, and uh, this is just disgusting and the people doing it make me so like breathlessly angry and also heartbrokenly sad yeah. because of how much the influence of you know the powerful forces in our society and you know yeah. Gary Neville was saying I yeah. can't believe I've been accused of uh stirring up racism and and to be fair to him he is not doing anything intentionally to stir up racism whatsoever it's just the tone of the discourse and it's it's about absence of understanding I, like you know that's I, if i were him i'd be horrified by that accusation also by the way i'm sure um but but the tone of discourse in in our society in general is in in terrible trouble and yes uh, Yes. No. I. I mean.
1: Um. I wanted to. I. I had a few um conversations on Twitter and and made a few points uh, about Gary Neville and and I. You know. I'm. I'm with you that I don't think he is intentionally stirring anything up, but I do think he's tone deaf. um. And I do think it matters. And and how we talk about racism in football has does have to change. And uh, a couple of white blokes talking about this, so I'm kind of mindful of that yeah, as obviously. well. You know. But um, I, I think Neville's problem is that, um, as he has long been accused of, he has a different tone when talking about uh, fellow English players than he does, like some others, right? And he has a very different tone when talking about Paul Pogba and other United players. And and it's it's the, I'm connecting the two, and it's a little bit unfair, but it's within the sort of context of this whole discourse around players and immigration and racism. Uh, and I think he just kind of needs to respect that. So uh, what what Neville did last week was blame Pogba for the penalty situation against Wolves, where we find out from the manager afterwards, who's very candid about it, that he'd given them the responsibility and they had to decide before the game who was taking any penalties. The players hadn't, which meant they had a conversation on the pitch and it was decided that Pogba would take it. No fallout no argument on the pitch, no nothing, but Neville kind of very wrongly said there was, right? And then blamed it on Pogba. This week, he's tried to do some mental gymnastics and, and you know, to work into this week's situation, his analysis from last week's situation. So he said there was extra pressure on Rashford. Probably true, actually, because of last week's situation, which remember he had blamed on Pogba, right? So he's saying Pogba's fault that Rashford's got more pressure, but that's Total bollocks, because it's actually, where's the pressure come from? It's come from media commentary, and the person with the biggest platform for analysis of football in this country is Gary Neville. Uh, And he got it really wrong last week, and he's tried to back himself this week. And I I think he's just, as part of of the um, tone-deaf kind of situation that Neville's got himself into, he's got himself into a pretty difficult situation. He's not able to work himself, work his way out of it. He's just gone defensive.
0: Anyway, that's my also, view, right? like Marcus, Marcus Rashford missed the penalty by three millimetres. Like, yeah. Pogba hit an absolute stinker. Rashford, Rashford didn't miss that penalty because he was under additional pressure. You know, that's, that's not why that penalty got missed. It was millimetres away from being a spectacularly brilliant penalty. Uh, if anything, he's hit it too well, Clive. Um, <laughs> uh, having said all that, Graham Soonis is a racist. Um, so if you don't care about cricket, um, please fast forward. So it's, we're like we're recording. I'm looking at the timestamp now, so I'm going to give us exactly 10 minutes, Ed, Okay. to talk about Ben Stokes and the Ashes. So fast forward 10 minutes if you don't like cricket. Otherwise, we, we have to talk about it because, well, we don't have to. We could just talk about Man United as the name on the podcast suggests, but it's our podcast. And absolutely miraculous things keep happening in cricket, and we can't impose it all on the patron backers. So we, we've got to talk about it. So 10 minutes from here, jump forward. Ed. Uh, wow. you went to bed at 6am uk time and sent a message saying is there any chance when i wake up it will be 250 for 4 and i was so disappointed when it was only 245 for 4 um, <laughs> when we lost when we lost the fifth wicket <laughs> um cuz it was so they were so close to getting there what a miraculous game of cricket that was
1: uh, just amazing i mean I, I'm watching from a little bit of a distance, but fortunately, I have access to to lots and lots of um, uh, coverage of of the cricket. And uh, yeah, just just an amazing. Not only the like you look at the scorecard and you, you look at it and shake your head and go, "How can that happen? <laughs> how, how can these scores be as they are? Uh, what what has created that situation? Which is you know pretty weird in the first place." Um, and then, um, and then you just look at the the manner in which England finally won, and the the style of cricket that was played across all those sessions, from the evening sessions the day before, just as I was sort of well after. No, I mean some sometime before I went to bed, um, yeah, which was basically block, 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 and Joe yeah. Root scoring some runs um and the sort of fight back with Bairstow and um and uh, Ben Stokes that happened that evening to the absolute i think Jonathan Lou called it violence of of um Stokes's acceleration when England were 9 down as he said afterwards he, he sort of felt that he only had one choice at that point um I guess he had total freedom and then for a man who'd been playing for so long under so much pressure to just switch from from being defensive to playing 2020 cricket or perhaps you know 100 ball cricket as it will be next summer um uh, to you know just absolutely cleanly hitting
0: Australian fast bowlers out of the ground was just incredible and it was and, like, everything about that game was miraculously ridiculous. Joffre, Joffre Archer's Sixfer in his second ever test in the first innings, like, seems like a million years ago that Sixfer does now. And that, because that, that was in the evening session, basically, when when he just ripped Australia apart. And then, um, he's so full of optimism, after what had been quite a sticky middle part of the day, to get Australia out for under 200 at Headingley, where you know some big scores might be possible, for England to to top score Denley top scoring with twelve and in a the, sixty seven the lowest around. highest score
1: um, an Englishman's ever got yeah I mean like just the madness of all the stats in this game um, and and just the the swings I mean the Test cricket is great for the its ability to sort of the, have an ebb and flow in the the storyline isn't it I mean in one day cricket kind of the pressure builds in the best one day games. Um it doesn't really happen in twenty twenty quite the same way. But test cricket's there's a there's a story, you
0: know? And Yeah. Um there are stories, aren't there? There's there's exactly. layered narrative that builds towards a final cumulative conclusion. But this was just wild swings.
1: Yeah. Between just ridiculous ridiculousness of England's first innings. You, like just you said, look look back at how each of them got out. Some of them, what were they? Ben Stokes he's his, he got a duck in the, in, the, in that in that yeah, 67 yeah, yeah. chasing a super wide one on, on his like third ball what was, why
0: yeah Madness. exactly and and you know um it, it, You said it's not so much... On WhatsApp, you said it's not so much ebbs and flows as crashing tidal waves in either direction. So we go from Ben Stokes like swinging at one and getting out for a duck for no reason in the first innings to literal Jeffrey Boycott complaining that Stokes wasn't playing aggressively enough. Like, literally, on TMS, um, Boycott was like, well, he's got to play some shots. (laughs) It's, It's amazing. That's the extent of the ebbs and flows. And so then once... Once you get into that final innings, like Stokes got two off his first sixty-three balls, and seventy-four off his last forty-three balls. Seventy-four of a seventy-six partnership, one to leach, one wide. Like one of the so the only thing I was taking solace from in that second game, you know, after the first te- you were super mad after the first innings, Ed, and understandably so. And the thing that I remember thinking is what's absolutely insane about this 67 is how good this batting unit could be. Like, that's what that's what's so crazy about how bad they've been. Like three times in a year, eight, four times in 18 months, they've been out for less than hundred. And yet this is the same batting lineup that can literally chase down the biggest total that's ever been chased down by an England side. A record that stood since the 1930s, I believe. Like it's abs- no twenties, the twenties, absolutely insane. And it wasn't just Stokes, although that was a personal miracle, but uh, Root and Denley on the day before like that, Joe Root innings, it's absolutely incredible. Besto speeding through the gears and sort of basically kind of pulling Stokes along with him. Besto overtook Stokes at one point who'd been in for, you know, a hundred balls or something by that point. Um, and then, and then just, and then Stokes ran Butler out as well. Like he, he, he literally just completely stuffed up England's whole chances of winning single handedly. Yeah. Well, he, by he, running he out,
1: should, he should have run Leach out, of course, which was which, <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 that was, that was leech. <laughs> kind that of was, fumbled. That-
0: that was Leach's fault. Like um, Stokes was very clear that he was like, no way, mate. I was never even slightly running there. So
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the D L C used to all look back on the details of that and wonder how they haven't won, much as the New Zealanders did in the World Cup final. So mm. that run out, the fact that they um, called for, for um, DRS on the... Um, Uh, On On the leech
0: LBW that was nowhere near. Pitching
1: well wide of leg. And like someone had to say, no way, you know, that's ridiculous. And wasted it then on a plumber LBW on Stokes, which would have won the game like two balls before Stokes wins it. You know, it's like madness. They they may regret the decision to bring back
0: Nathan Lyon when England needed
1: eight. Um,
0: I mean, he said he said Stokes said that was the one bowler he desperately didn't want to face at that point. He'd much rather have faced the quicks. Um so, Yeah, but he uh,
1: just put him into the stands. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> he didn't though, not that not 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 when Lyon came back for his last spell. He he struggled against him and it was was it not Lyon that got him plum L you It, it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. So so I think I think that was actually probably a right decision. The one thing you'd say is maybe they should carried, have carried on trying to get him out rather than just putting all those men on the boundary. But then talk about the details. The fact that every single one of those sixes, most sixes ever by a, a batsman in an Ashes innings, which I was wow. surprised about. Um, but yeah, the fact that every one of those uh, sixes, apart from the the reverse slog into the Western Terrace, Every other one basically went just like three millimeters over the outstretched Aussie fingertips, you know. So you can see why they had catches on the boundary.
1: Yes, that that the the reverse log sweep was an outrageous shot. Just <laughs> outrageous. So
0: absolutely yeah. amazing. My favourite. That was obviously the best shot. But then I loved the um the the kind of sweep drive off a full toss well it was a Yorker but he made it into a full toss and just the angle of the bat to get under the ball in the way that he did and the complete absence of margin of error there and then the fact that he tried a ramp shot it didn't come off and he ramped a six the next ball like talk about backing yourself
1: yeah that's right anyway we said we'd do 10 minutes for about 20 seconds from the end of that 10 minutes I think yeah um I mean it leaves a few questions I mean it's a miraculous game and great you know fantastic entertainment um definitely leaves a few questions for england about what they do with this fragile batting lineup i mean denley's bought himself some time he was definitely under pressure jason roy looks looks in deep trouble doesn't he
0: i think i think the one he'll be the one change they make and i wonder if you don't just take roy out put anderson in and trust wokes one up the order um, maybe open with Denley and, he and hasn't scored uh, enough Burns. runs, has he?
1: I mean, it's a Manchester, so he's it's having a, it. normally decent pitch, so yeah. it's that would be risky. I mean, you'd definitely be backing England to bowl out. He's out for 250
0: odd twice, yeah. um, but Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, uh, uh, Stokes, and Joffrey Archer, and Jack Leach like, I'd probably bowl most teams out for now especially but but the problem is of course Steve Smith anyway that's probably the Old Trafford that people that are tuning back in now don't want to hear about um Manchester United's next game is not at Old Trafford I wonder whether we'll be benefited from playing um who's Huss- Hassan Hootl's boys at Southampton where they might leave a little bit of space behind that we can operate in maybe might not though Wolves didn't and uh, and Southampton haven't
1: got off to the greatest start. I mean, um, heavy defeat against Burnley on the opening day. No surprise in losing to Liverpool, I guess, although I th- thought Liverpool were pretty fortunate uh, to win that game. Um, and then a, a good victory over Brighton at the weekend. I didn't see any of that game. Um, but uh, winning at Brighton, um, solid number of points for Southampton there. Um, hopefully they leave some space for United because the Palace game told us that A, there's no Gaal and B, there's no plan B. So there needs to be space in behind. Um, I do wonder, do you think Ollie will change it up? I mean, it feels to me that he kind of has to, um, but he was very one... effusive in backing Lingard after the Palace game.
0: Yeah, that's the one that you have to change. I mean, I don't know whether he will or not, but to me, that's the, that is the one that, that everything else, like I wouldn't mind seeing Dan James feels like this would be very weird to drop him when he's just scored in the last minute in that game and you said he was playing better at that so I'd, and i don't think anyone else wants dropping um so it would ju- it's just whether whether Lingard plays and whether i guess Martial and um sure are fit because there's some doubt over them i think
1: yes sure i mean you know it's a muscle industry industry uh, injury <laughs> I, I suspect not. i mean i, I guess Young comes into the side. Martial, that's a big one because United are now pretty thin in terms of resources up front. So um, if he's injured, I guess Greenwood comes into the side. There's not a lot of other options. They're still trying to negotiate a deal for Alexis Sanchez to move to into Milan. Um, I'm not sure he's actually fit anyway. Beyond that, what are the options? I mean, you can move Lingard into one of the wider positions. You can bring Matter into the team. Um that's that's a challenge. I d Ollie seems reluctant to play matter because he does slow the game down. Um he's not going to United you know, have a trouble as I said, you know, have trouble shifting uh through the phases quick enough already. Um I mean, it's part, it's partly I think because McTominay doesn't move the ball quick enough just yet. He has to become more like Carrick. Um but so, you know, are we gonna slow slow our possession down even more by bringing matter in? That's a challenge. Angel Gomez hasn't had a sniff yet. I mean there's nothing really to say that he's he's ready to play at number ten for United, but it's not going to be a worse solution. Um and then there's you could move Andreas in there, but he doesn't have a great record in terms of creating goals or chances or scoring them throughout his career. He has, you know, one assist every ten games or so, historically. Um and actually at young, you know, youth an academy and reserve level, mostly played off the left for United, not really as a a pure number 10. So big questions
0: for Oli, how he tries to solve that problem. And I wonder if he just won't answer it. I think, I wonder whether he'll say, well, actually, I kind of value there industry of Lingard in there over the chance creation. And there's going to be enough chance creation elsewhere that we can get away with it. And, it, you know, that Southampton-Liverpool game, I was just looking at the data when, you know, I said maybe there'll be a bit more space in behind. But, you know, Southampton had 35% of possession in that game to Liverpool 65 and um, and created, like, by far the better, well, considerably better chances than Liverpool in that game. Um, and it's probably pretty unlucky to to lose or definitely from in terms of the data they were. Yep. Uh, so, you know, uh, Southampton are in an artificially low position they, they definitely wouldn't have expected if based on performance to have lost the 3-0 to Burnley. Um that that they're going to they're going to pose interesting challenges for United. played 3-5-2 uh, against Liverpool, which I, I do think it's kind of interesting how we match up against teams that play 3-5-2 and and I I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how um, how Lindelof and Maguire cope with the twin threats of, of the former Birmingham City man Shay Adams uh, and uh, Nathan Edmund. So, it's, it's, there's, I, I think this game is far from a foregone conclusion. I, I, I have no idea what the solution is to the to the sort of general problem that you talked about. In fact, I suspect that the answer is that there isn't really a solution in the squad as it stands, unless. Somehow playing Juan Mata at number ten starts to work, um, which which as I said last week, perhaps slightly meanly, but not really meaning it meanly. It kind of never has. Danny Ings uh, played from the start against Brighton um, at the weekend. Yeah, played so against Liverpool and
1: scored, didn't he? Um... Uh,
0: he did, but uh, I think he it, they against Brighton they played a four two 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 two. It's cla- absolutely classic hipster tactics, three five two and then four two two two. Uh back back to back weeks. Sounds um, like a telephone number to me. Nonsense, <laughs> isn't it? Are you against it, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Down down with this sort of thing.
1: Down with this sort of thing, yeah. Um no, I've I've taken to watching Bocker just to you know, prove
0: my hipster <laughs> Uh, I haven't, actually.
1: (laughs) Because of Daniele De Rossi. That's uh, that's it. Scored on his debut for Boca. Of course he did.
0: Oh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. All right. So that's that game. Um, We'll do Twitter questions and then pick some scores, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, final final comment on Southampton before we move on to questions. So, So, look, United play after Southampton. Leicester at home. Tough game. West Ham away. Tough game. And Sebastian Haller scoring. Arsenal at home. Six-pointer. The newly rejuvenated Newcastle just beat Spurs at Saint James's Park. Uh, maybe they know what they're doing these days. I don't know. Then Liverpool you know, at home. We're... So that's um. And then there's the international break in there. But and um, you know, just there's pressure already on United to get something out of this Southampton game because there's some there's tough games lot, coming up.
0: A lot of a lot of what you just said depends on emphasis, right? Because you're right in a way, but like on the other hand, Leicester at home, well, that's a game United should definitely be able to win. West Ham away, well, it's not a gimme, but there's very few gimmies in the Premier League, and again, that's you know we we're definitely better than them player for player. Arsenal at home, that's you know, yep, that is what it is. It's a big game. We've obviously got a really good record against them, although perhaps not so much in recent years. And Newcastle are rubbish, so um, you know, <laughs> like yeah, they all right, they beat Spurs, but lads it's tottenham so emphasis goes a long way but you are of course absolutely right and and there is pressure because the 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 thing is we just played palace at home and lost um and if you can play a team that's probably going to get relegated this season although we might have just saved them by giving them three points they uh, they wouldn't have expected to have um then you know it's it's there's going to be a ton of pressure because we're just not that good yeah all
1: right. Talking of not that good, Twitter questions.
0: Twitter is really bad. I feel like we should um, switch to like email only questions in protest <laughs> at how rubbish Twitter are as a company. And a They really are
1: form. rubbish as a company. Yeah, you, you post copyrighted content or, or, call, or call someone the C word. You get banned very, very quickly. Um, yeah. Use the N word all over Twitter. No problem at all. Freedom of speech, is it?
0: Uh, 0.51 XG for Newcastle against Tottenham's 1.26. Just to clarify, that are Newcastle actually good question. <laughs>
1: no, they're not. <laughs> friend of the show, Cal G- Gildart says...
0: Oh, best friend of the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> could barely get his name out. Having played <laughs> in a progressive back three with Villa, not to mention featuring there for us towards the back end of 2016-17, could you see a problem with playing Toon Zabi in a holding midfield role? interesting question I, don't know if i know um, the answer to that one you got a
0: thought i'd love to see it um i would love to see it who was it that i i know i talk about this all every time he comes up but he played two games in a row oh yeah it was against arsenal and against tottenham and against arsenal he man marked alexis sanchez out of the game and against tottenham he was dragged from pillar to post by christian ericsson so uh mixed mixed performances in his in his time in in our holding midfielder but he's got you know a lot of maturity under his belt since then and I I, I would I would actually like to see that I, w- I wouldn't even mind you see the kind of McTominay and Twanzebe and Pogba ahead of them and play maybe yeah. play a 4-3-3 three, three. yeah yeah I mean I, the only thing I
1: don't I mean he's a very talented player uh, Twanzebe and um he you know I, I think you saw some villa last season he was a very you know a very good ball playing defender as well when he wasn't injured um so that suggests he's got the raw skills we just we've just never seen it i mean this it's a big old risk suddenly switching to him um in um in the premier league it's it's one of a few options to solve this this trade off of where you play pogwa and and where do you lose out on creativity or control so it it could be an option maybe carling cup coming up in in uh end of september right so Um, Maybe that's an option for that game. Um, Interesting. He was on the bench again. No Smalling, Rojo or Jones in the squad. Bit of a message sent out to those guys. 2nd of September is the uh, European transfer window. I can see uh, Chris Smalling playing
0: in Italian football, can't you? Uh, yes, abs- I definitely can. By the way, like he could, he could do a job at a, a relatively decent level. Chris Morling's not some like he's just not very good on the ball, and he's got too many mistakes in him. That's you know, he's not like some absolute clodhopper of an idiot, is he? Uh, Fred was not in the squad either, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, bizarre situation with him in which he was given time off to get married uh, and appears to not be fit. Now, he's miles <laughs> behind the rest of the squad, so therefore our £50 million pound midfielder is is not playing at all when we're desperately short of numbers in midfield. Okay, so that's not because
0: he's getting sold. It's because he's had too much wedding cake.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um Jan, Jan, Janio72 on Twitter says, is it a word that uh, reportedly, reportedly three people have turned down the director of football role because... Uh Ed won't give away responsibilities for signings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's he goes on to talk about Matt Judge and uh, the role of uh Doc. But um yeah, no, I mean I think it's 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 utterly predictable. A- August ninth, um uh United can use the money from the Lukaku signing in, in January. We'll you know, we'll we'll do that. August tenth, uh more stories that United are uh, hot hot on the heels of a director of football. December the thirty first, ah, January window super hard. You know, end of May when the, the the third quarter results come out, special dividend to the Glazers thirty million pounds. You know, it's so predictable what's going to happen. So yes, it's, not, it's a bit it's worrying, like... but it's also we know this is going to happen.
0: Yeah, the the director of football thing. The, this is uh, previously been wrong about some things at United, I, I never expected really that United would have spent as at the level that they've spent over the last sort of since Fergie left. I don't think necessarily ever thought we'd see that. Um, although this summer, as we talked a lot about was much more sort of reasonable in the relative to the market as it stands. But the thing that I never, ever, ever think will happen is that an actual director of football will be appointed under this structure at United. I think would yeah. uh, would have to be sacked because, um, It is abundantly clear. I don't know Edward Wood. I've never met him. I could be completely wrong about this. This could be a total misreading of the situation. But from the outside looking in, what it looks to all intents and purposes like is that Edward Wood absolutely loves it. He loves that bit of it, being the big I am, and that's what he's in it for. He's he's an investment banker who somehow ended up being in charge of Manchester United he's living out some sort of playground fantasy and um the idea that that either he's going to go well no alright i'll just stick to making like tractor signings um tractor partners signings and uh, appoint someone else to do the fun stuff or the glazers are going to sack a man who's making them a fortune i don't think either of those things are going to happen but yeah. at some point yeah, yeah. at some point you wonder whether a kind of um, repeated failure on the pitch will lead the Glazers to sacking Ed Woodward. That's, that's the one thing. Well, I Well, no, he's making
1: happen. the money off it. So until he mm. stops doing that, and of course, you know, they are related, but until he stops doing that, they're not going to fire him. I mean, we might do better in midfield with a tractor signing, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, we so, did. In fact, that's what we did. We signed the Matic. It turns like one, yeah. Um, yes. One other thing on that, yes, I mean, there certainly appears from the outside to be ego in play. I, I also think United wouldn't want to appoint or couldn't appoint a serious director of football because that director of football would want more control than the Glazer business model is um, allowed, right? allows for. Because, you know, a real director of football who has control not only over acquisitions, but squad development, right, and a balanced squad development over a sort of medium to long term period. Would want the funds available that United have because it's the most profitable club in the world. Take away debt repayments and dividends to, you know, properly strengthen that squad. I don't think that the business model is going to allow for that. So you'd immediately have conflict between the boardroom and that director of football. And I think any director
0: of football of note will realise that. So I want. I wonder this, that'll just be about the amount of the budget. There, presumably there'll be some director of football out there who's prepared to work within the budgetary constraints that they set, just like there's managers prepared to work under, you know, Victor Tan at Cardiff or, you know, Newcastle's Mike Ashley, you know, people people back themselves to do stuff in football, don't they? Yeah. Pratic, so.
1: Pratic. Berlin on Twitter says, what's your preferred route to the Europa League next season losing the Europa <laughs> League final or finishing seventh and playing in the qualifiers
0: <laughs> Harsh. do you get a place for losing in the final
1: I don't know do you maybe I mean we got to make sure we do okay because uh and under UEFA's um uh, new structure coming in in 2024 at least proposed structure there's going to be sort of divisional systems we'll be
0: playing down in the the Vanarama league of the Europa League if we're not careful I'd I have no confidence whatsoever in United's ability to compete in the Europa League this season. That competition was made for Jose Mourinho's vindictive, uh, smashing aside of teams that were smaller than him. Yeah. I mean, physically smaller, basically. Physically
1: smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At Jacks365 says, and this different take on VAR. Have the Premier League ruined VAR? Two higher standards means hardly any decisions being overturned. See Martial pen- penalty shot and Kane on Sunday. Well, yeah, I mean. I don't, I don't know what is good and what is bad in the you know, bar at the moment because it, it, like, it, it's it's they've reduced it to being binary, binary decisions. Um, and I guess that's if they can get binary decisions, right? And we've talked about how difficult that is with offside, then it's like goal line technology, but
0: it's not that good yet. What's mad is... On one hand, you've got like penalties that loads of people, certainly every team that supports that team, every fan that supports that team would be screaming, that's obviously a penalty and they're not being overturned. But someone's shoulder is a micron offside and that is being overturned because everything's got this bar of clear and obvious, except this like um offside throwing this kind of absolute precision perfection into the mix. Mm. There's a huge philosophical disconnect between those two things. Well at the weekend uh, Ronaldo had a goal chalked off his
1: his shoulder was millimeters ahead of uh, the defender um the, his feet were onside his shoulder was offside uh, it's just I it mean, doesn't
0: feel like the spirit of the game to me <laughs> No no of course not but that's that's what I'm saying exactly that's exactly what I'm saying it's like the, the, and that is making the general tone of the clear and obvious stuff I I really think they should change the the, the quickest Thing that you could help get people's head around Var is if you change the offside to being a clear and obvious mistake as well yeah you know that's yeah. that, that to me would seem like such a such a sane move from a sort of I, philosophical I, I, perspective um, I, I kind
1: of feel already but let's see it for a season um in, in England at least um, Var has been in other leagues for a, a bit while longer whether a sort of decision review system might not be better like each club gets a couple of decisions that the manager can challenge uh, on big calls if they want to if, they, if people really feel like the martial one you know really feel that that was a penalty turned down they can then say you know dec- decision review go to VAR and check that one so anyway just a thought um a million questions about Lingard I kind of feel we've sort of talked about him um yeah <laughs> i feel he needs some time away from the team um Pelusa's oldest Leo EPD on Twitter says, "On the Pokemon evolution scale, how many evolutions is Gary Neville away from evolving into full-blown Suness?"
0: <laughs> oh no! I, is there devolution in Pokemon? I don't. Think yeah. There well, is.
1: no, no, no. Gary, Gary, I think still basic Pokemon. Suness is full level two Mega Mega EX or whatever. Um, oh, I
0: forgot that you would be able to answer this question because of your son. I, I, I was, yeah I was... yeah. Fully banking on you not having any Pokemon knowledge whatsoever. There, oh, Ed. no, I know all about Pokemon, sort <laughs> of. <laughs> um, Gary Neville is going through uh, football clubs in the northwest, um thinking, got to catch them all. Um, Salford City in the league. Everyone wants them to get relegated. Every fan of every other team in the division wants them to get relegated, I think. Anyway. Um, yeah,
1: right. there's a really long, long, deep dive into Salford City at the weekend. I can't remember it was in the Athletic. Or in the Guardian, one or two, anyway, and in which Gary <laughs> Neville was being, uh, um, you know, reasonably defensive about their position because basically they are the Manchester City of non-league or the lower leagues now. In that they're they're spending about three million pounds a year over their um, actual income, so it's being uh, subsidised heavily, mostly by Peter Lynn. Um, who's who's 50% owner, who through equity, so he'll probably be more than 50% owner by the time they actually get somewhere, in the hope that at some point they will be able to turn that into a a more profitable entity when they're higher up the leagues. But it, it is financial doping, just on a different scale to Manchester
0: City. Just made me really laugh. when you said, "I'm not sure if it was in the Athletic or the Guardian." It's just very on brand. It's like <laughs> these, these are these are the two places it could possibly have been.
1: <laughs> Might have been somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Um, so Crystal Palace game, what, uh, not Crystal Palace. Southampton game. What do you think the score is going to be? I'm going to go for a one-all draw. All right. I um, kind of want to go for a draw as well, but I, I don't know. I'm going to go for. How it wouldn't it be nice if Man United won? All right, I'm going to go for a, an optimistic two-one win. But at the moment, it really does feel like um, we, we're in a position of uh, very fine margins in terms of the details. Uh, the, the the Chelsea game, everything flew in the net basically in the second half, and um, everything Chelsea did sort of very narrowly missed. Uh, the Wolves game, basically their one good spell of possession is the reason that they uh, they they. Uh, Equalised and Pogba missed the penalty. Then against Palace, another missed penalty and Dave chucking one in his own net. So, you know, there's really been a season a win, a win and a loss and a draw, all of which could have been any result based on the detail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess that's true of literally but that's any true football, of football, football match ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, Just, you know what he... I mean. It seems it what feels the... partic- particularly like that this season so far it does i i'd just say that
1: the structure gives you the chance to win all, you know win more of those details than you lose of them you know and and it feels to me that ollie has got a big question to ask both in terms of personnel um uh, where some of those personnel play and pattern of play um especially in games that aren't quite going our way anyway uh, before so I, we leave I, I,
0: I just just wanted to say like i completely agree with that um but so far we are like um, three points worth off than we're meant to be on expected points already. So mm-hmm. the 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 structure's like it's a little bit unfortunate that is it is the way it is. So the structure, mm-hmm. I completely agree that there are big structural problems, but they have been exacerbated by the detail rather than minimised or like rather than accurately reflected by the detail. Sure.
1: I I mean, we'll see where we get to a few games in the season. It it wouldn't be that surprising to me if we didn't have quite a lot of games where we're drawing or losing 1-0, where the XG is 2.5 to 0.5.
0: Because we've taken 40 shots from outside the box. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're, we're like the 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 inverse of Manchester City. They they're gonna tippy tap it all the way to a tap in from one yard out, and and uh, we can't do that. We're not creating those kind of chances. So anyway, um, uh, final thought uh, comes from Tarek Amir, friend of the show, La Number Twelve on excellent, Twitter. Excellent,
0: excellent friend of the show. Check out his short film Schrodinger's Cat. on
1: Yeah, yeah, doing the rounds. Um. What are your thoughts on Spider-Man leaving the MCU? And do you think this will have a lasting impact on his penalty-taking abilities for United? <laughs> so, so here's a sub-question to that that I've got. Who would, of the um, of the uh, Avengers, expanded Avengers, let's say the Endgame Avengers, who would take the best penalty for United and why? <laughs>
0: um, Doctor Strange, because he could... Just guide the ball into the back of the net using magic. It that feels like cheating. All right, so no, no special powers are allowed. It's just got to be their genuine bona fide physical attributes, <laughs> or because or, like Black Panther could kick a ball real, real, real hard. He, he I, he could. Yeah. Although yeah. Graham Soonus would then blame him for losing the match. So. That's... <laughs>
1: uh Yeah. Well, you know, but that's natural ability, isn't it? You know, plus some special
0: vibranium whatever it is suit um, yeah but no like he mind you performance enhancing drugs because he takes that flower thing that gives him the powers um iron man without the suit useless that's absolutely out of the question uh captain america again performance enhancing drugs can't have him he can't pick i'm sure super soldier serum is a banned substance it's got i'm right? sure
1: yeah
0: yeah so this is a really tricky decision um yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with Doctor Strange. Alright. Good one. Good one. Alright. I think that's our
1: show. Um some challenges ahead for next weekend, but you know, we're not we're not too depressed yet, are we?
0: No, we're not. Um in terms of recording the next podcast, the podcast might be a little bit late after the Southampton game, but I'm away, but um that'll give us plenty of um time to Suggest that game and then use the international break to uh, maybe have a little bit of a look at the season so far as a whole and to talk about how United haven't got a number 10 and all the things that we say every week because it's all the same every week. Um, but uh, we'll be here for another 40 weeks of this uh, before the end of the season. I hope you enjoy every last one of them. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, come on you Reds. <laughs> okay, bye now.